You are now listening to the Whipped Cream Podcast with Bianca Harris and Chantel Chapman. Hey guys, welcome back to the pod. We missed you so much. We are back with a new episode. Please don't forget to review our podcast and support the show by giving us five stars on Apple if you are enjoying what you are hearing. On today's show, we have an amazing guest. We're really excited to have her on. She is Andrea Glick. Andrea is a therapist, sex educator, and somatic healer who specializes in treating trauma and PTSD for queer and trans folks using body-based and feminist therapy practices to help clients come home to themselves. Andrea currently practices in New York City and we were really excited to have her on because like I said I send all of her posts to all of my friends and I think what she puts out there is really easy to digest um, because some of the things that she's talking about are a little bit complex so it just makes it really easy to understand um, the type of trauma work and therapy that she's discussing. This is a two-parter so get ready for part one and we hope you enjoy. Hi guys, we are back. I am Bianca. And Chantal. And today we have an amazing guest on. Sean, I'm going to let you throw. Yeah. So um, if you are on Instagram and you are into our podcast, for sure you've seen (laughs) Andrea, our guest, uh, Instagram posts, because we share them a lot. Um, Bianca was actually just saying that she forwards her posts to a lot of her friends and I do the same. So we are so excited to have Andrea on, known as the Somatic Witch on Instagram. Um, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, tell us what you're working on right now. Yeah, so I have my own practice in New York and I am honored to be seeing a handful of clients there. Um doing a lot of body-based and also queer and kink and poly-affirming therapy. Um, And I also am working on some trainings that folks can watch and participate in online, Um, something that I've sort of found from some of the things that I have been posting about is that there's a lot of information that's not out there, which is... um, intense and overwhelming in the sense that it's like not privileged information that we have a body and that we have a nervous system and that we're sexual beings that deserve pleasure and joy. Um, and so a lot of what I'm focusing on right now is being able to make that information more accessible so that folks don't feel like they have to, um, get a psychology degree to like be in touch with themselves or, um, really be able to inhabit the feeling of everything that we need to find happiness or find regulation is right inside of us and that we don't have to look too much farther than our bodies or our brains to find it. I love that. You said a few words that just feel really significant for Mm -hmm. me um, based on what I've noticed from following you. So the first one was like the accessibility. Yeah. Um, You just have like your, the way you, um, teach uh, and share these concepts is so accessible. Cool. That's you know, like accessible you, is the word that I that comes to my mind. 
the what? Digestible is what comes to mind. Like, it's just, it's so incredible. You, you use these, like, you know, in the media world, we would call these like sound bites, right? Uh uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. these are really powerful, impactful sound bites that could be headlines. Yeah. And the way you do it, it's just like so digestible, so accessible. And I think that's probably why so many people are drawn to you. Because mm-hmm. like you said, like the, some of the, the concept of like deserving pleasure and yeah, yeah. being able to connect with the body and understanding what the nervous system is like, right that is actually not that accessible to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really cool to hear that because as a queer person and as a woman and as a feminine person, um, I really have been in so many spaces in which I'm not taken seriously because I talk authentically and candidly. Um, and that's just sort of who I am at the core of who I am anyways. But um, what's been really cool about being able to share this knowledge is that I'm finally getting support and acknowledgement that the way that it is really useful to not talk in a really inaccessible academic um like jargony way which is just like so not me um and so it's it's really cool that that is resonating with people um and I think that like most things could just be made more accessible but um because of so many different things about our society it's within the people in power's best interest to keep them as these like you know, the gatekeepers like to keep them locked behind these gates when it's like, no, this stuff is just like, is, is pretty basic. If just said in a way that is, uh, you know, digestible. That is so true. And I relate to that so much because I, that's exactly what I do in my work in the world of finance, like gatekeepers of the financial industry, these big, like, yeah, make everything as complicated as possible. Yes. It really kind of marginalizes certain people and it makes people, it brings up a lot of shame. I don't understand this. It's complicated. Exactly. It's the same thing. And I, 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 um, it totally resonates with me. Another thing that you said that I love is you said, you said, uh, you're talking a little bit about the orientation of, um, getting to a place of happiness and regulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's totally. like the regulation piece. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was just thinking about this today, which probably isn't too abnormal for me anyways, but the thing <laughs> that I was thinking about was how I would meet with new clients and they would talk about being dysregulated. And because of the way we stigmatize mental health, I would get so hyper aroused in the sense of like, tons of stress hormones, racing thoughts. How am I going to help this person? Like, why is this, why is this person experiencing this? Um, and that as soon as I learned about the nervous system and regulating the nervous system, it was so much less stigmatizing and also so much more under, like there was so much more understanding for me as to why people were having the reactions that they were having, Mm -hmm. which is that, um, we, all stimuli that we come into contact with gets interpreted by our nervous system. And so all things are either a sign of safety or a sign of danger. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of have, we've developed these different reactions and coping around managing the stimuli that comes in. And so if folks have been exposed to a lot of chaos in their lives, then their nervous system is going to be more sensitized. And so people having these really big, 
big uh, reactions to things or being really dysregulated is just a learned pattern of the nervous system. Like if you grew up in a household where you were scared that you were going to get yelled at, you literally grew and, and your nervous system formed around that fear of getting in trouble, that fear of being yelled at. And so it makes sense that as soon as someone criticizes you in any way, or offers any feedback, you collapse to the floor crying hysterically. And before I was like, what is happening? Like, why is this reaction? You know, why this? And then now that I can put things in the context of that it, and, and attachment as well too, um, it just helps me to understand people so much deeper. And then when I use that with clients, it helps them feel so much less shame about the way that they react to things. Um, it helps them kind of reframe a lot of the self-care stuff that we talk about really casually as ways of self-soothing or regulating. Mm -hmm. So if you say like, you should take a run because it's good for you, someone's going to be like, no, or they're going to go and not have the same experience because they're like, this is supposed to be good for me, but I don't really know why. Whereas you can say, it's really important that you offer this self-regulation or this self-soothing through movement. And then the person is going to go with that intention and probably find a little more peace at the end of whatever they've done. Yeah. I love that. And also there's something about using the word regulation that doesn't feel like such a far place to jump to when you are in a state that's not serving you. So if I'm feeling like absolute shit right now, my, my nervous system is very sensitive and someone's like, just get out of bed and feel better. It's like, like, no, (laughs) that's like, that's yes. like traveling to Europe and I'm in Vancouver uh, right now. You know what I mean? Yes. Regulation yes. is like, what can we do to just regulate that? That feels like, oh, I, I think I can ease into that more. So I think that's just such beautiful language. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, everything you just said reminded me of the polyvagal ladder, which is this chart. I've posted it. It's very easy to Google if you want to find it. But basically, it's a ladder. And at the bottom is what you kind of just described, which is that like, I don't feel like I can get out of bed, which is a more dorsal vagal and the nervous system collapse response. Yeah. And if we tell people who are in a more collapsed or frozen or dissociated place, like get up and seize the day, like that's not going to work. It's too far. It's like, like you said, it's like traveling to Europe, which is such a good like way of phrasing it. It's too far up the ladder. Like can't shoot all the way up. You have to move slowly up your ladder. So if you're really in like a more dissociated or like checked out, numb, sad, depressed space, doing gentle things to work your way up into a more um, like activated, awake, alive place, and then being able to do the thing like go to work or um, yeah. like get to the top of your ladder. You have to like ease your way back up there. Um, and, it, and again, like using that framework of saying like, oh, you're just down your ladder instead of saying, oh, you are, you're depressed, right? Like that, that has such a different effect on us cognitively and somatically to hear somebody say like, oh, you're just down your ladder, right? Yeah. It's just aim in that. I think it's such an interesting thing that we've kind of um, fallen upon here in the discussion just because it relates to so many conversations that I have and so many experiences that I've had. Mm. Um, But Chantelle and I talk a lot about addiction on this podcast. And I think that's something that's so interesting that I experienced with my addiction, that it was always like all the resources that I had was like, go from this really heavy toxic addiction that you have and just cut it off. I couldn't do that. I I had to do it really slowly, piece by piece, going up that ladder, as you said. And that was the only way I was able to overcome (laughs) because it's, it's like reaching, it's like reaching for a million dollars and like, and you only have in your bank account, you know, it's it's like you can't go from zero to a hundred in a lot of instances. No, totally. 
another thing that came up, I was just having, I was just having a brunch with some of my girlfriends this week. There was four of us and relationships came up, of course, and they're all talking mm-hmm. about different experiences. And um, one of my girlfriends is kind of going through something where she's in this like really safe relationship and mm-hmm. her reactions to it are coming from yeah. like all her trauma in life. Yeah. So the way she's reacting is like out of fear and like freaking out and like, you know, just constantly being like on edge when the other person is giving her no indication to feel that way, but it's yes. all her, her past stuff. And I was like, you need to just calm down and understand that this has got nothing to do with the person. It's all based on your trauma and reaction yeah. to your past. Right. Yeah. So it's just so interesting that like, until you start uncovering that and healing it, it doesn't matter who's in front of you because it, the same reaction can kind of come up. Yeah, absolutely. And also how overwhelming for your friend's nervous system to go from chaos to safety like that so quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's actually like that can feel unsafe, even though it's like incredibly safe. And so to name to yourself, like I love placing a hand wherever you're feeling the activation. So if you're like sick to your stomach, putting a hand there, if you're like heart is racing, putting your hand there and just saying like, this makes sense that I'm feeling this way because blank and then bring in the context, right? So like I've only been in unsafe relationships and now I'm in a safe relationship and it's really overwhelming and that makes sense. Right. And it's when, whenever we invite like love and curiosity and affirmation, we really resist the like self judgment and shame that can come from just being human. Right. So I think what would be, I mean, just so our listeners know, I've kind of pulled a bunch of uh, posts from your Instagram that I thought would be really important for people to hear today, like kind of just delve into Um, but I think where we should start maybe is like, if we can just break down for people in the most digestible way, what is a nervous system? Yeah, absolutely. So as I I said a little bit earlier, your nervous system is the part of your body that interprets stimuli. And so if the like example that I always give is like, if someone is coming back from a war zone, their nervous system has been trained or has this trauma or has experienced loud noises as meaning this one thing, loud noise equals an explosion. And so your nervous system is always trying to keep you safe. Your body is just generally always trying to keep you safe. So if your car backfires, all of a sudden for you, or this person's car backfires, all all of a sudden they're on the ground and they don't, they didn't choose, they didn't make that choice cognitively, right? They just got on the ground or it's kind of like, if you've ever just done something before you thought about it, like if like you saw somebody who needed help and you started running before you thought I should help this person, or if you flinched, right, when someone like went to touch you or something, whatever, like right before you burned yourself, you flinched, that's all your nervous system interpreting safety and threat and trying to keep you safe. So what happens is the nervous system can become traumatized when it's exposed to, uh, I mean, lots of different things. Um, even just like living in the modern world, I would make an argument is pretty traumatizing for our nervous system in the sense that we are bombarded with so much stimuli. It doesn't really get the opportunity to just rest. Uh, And so there are different parts of our nervous system that belong to different survival responses. So different than the latter, I like to call this the roller coaster. (laughs) So at the top of the roller coaster, you have your fight and flight response. So this is like your body calling you into action. And then I'm just, I'm full of uh, like examples here because I just talk about this stuff all day with clients. But um, if you're in the wild, right, and there's a tiger coming for you or a lion or whatever, this is the part 
of your nervous system that will kick into action when it has determined that there is a chance for you to survive if you fight or if you run away. So what happens with that, with that part of our nervous system, which is called the sympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system releases adrenaline and cortisol and all of these stress hormones. It shuts down on parts of our body that, uh, and like redirects energy towards like our legs and our large muscle groups. So we can like run really fast, um, increases, you know, heart rate to get us going, our breath a little faster to get more oxygen into our system. Um, and when people feel this way, even if there isn't a lion, I, what it's called is being hyper aroused. So you're in a more like hyper state top of the roller coaster. And this is also a place that people go if they're feeling anxious. Um, it is the feeling of being angry, right? So there's like actually all these everyday times that we are in this part of the roller coaster because we're not in the wild anymore. A lot of us, um, but it, that, that was a sort of like original, purpose was to keep us safe. Uh, and the place that our nervous system goes, if, if it is determined by our body that we have a chance. So then at the very bottom of the roller coaster, which is also the bottom of the ladder for the other example, um, is the parasympathetic response of collapse, freeze, submit. And so this is where in the wild, if the tiger is really close, um, your body is like, you know what? We have no chance of getting away. The best chance we have is pretending that we're dead or pretending that we're not here and hoping that this like animal doesn't notice us. So that's depression, that's numbing out, that's dissociation in the, in the modern world, if you will. Um, and what happens with that is when we're all the way down there, we have determined that it is, it is the safest thing for us is to not be seen, um, is to just like go away is to play dead. And so that's the, that's the part that's a little harder to come out of because it really is our last resort. Um, and so when people say like, Oh, I'm, I'm in a place of like being very depressed, I will reframe that as like, Oh, so you're experiencing like a very strong sympathetic or parasympathetic response, or you are like really in your like hypo aroused place. Cause it just reminds us that it's your, your, your feelings are connected to your body, right? And your body is having this particular experience of a collapse. Depression is just a collapse. And then you feel that way. And then your thoughts go that way. And it's a whole experience of, of depression. And then right in the middle of the roller coaster is your window of tolerance. And this is where you feel safe and connected to the world around you. It's how I'm feeling right now because I'm talking to you all. We're connecting. Um, I'm getting to talk about something I'm excited about. So maybe there's a little sympathetic happening where I'm like, oh, exciting. Um, but it is the space that our nervous system is just resting and we feel, we just like feel good. We feel present. We feel inside of ourselves. And the, the goal is not to live here. We can't always stay there. Uh, it's not really realistic anyways. The goal is to fluctuate up and down a little bit from there. So there's a little activation, a little settling, a little activation, a little settling versus um, shooting from being super, super depressed to super anxious to all the way back to depressed, all the way to anxious. And that's sort of what ends up happening um, when trauma happens or any sort of like mental health stuff happens is that 
your nervous system is really trying to regulate and it dips so low or dips so high that in order to like try and get to the middle, it kind of over undershoots it. So you just end up kind of like going up and down this roller coaster of emotion um, from going, being super depressed to being super anxious and so on. It can look like a lot of different things for people, but that's sort of the like tour that I'll give of the nervous system, if you will. And then the other well, piece- that, Hang on, can I just say, yeah. I don't even yeah, know yeah. I'm going with this next, but that was the best tour I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Thank you. Cool. That's awesome. I'm glad. I also I talk a mile a minute, so just tell me to stop if you need me to. Um, can't help it. But um, but the other part that I'm sort of just now awakening to myself is that these parts, these uh, parts of our nervous system, right? So the the parasympathetic, which brings us back down, and the sympathetic, which brings us back up, also have these really important characteristics of um, excitement or feeling really relaxed. And so it's not always, I think the tour I just gave is of the extreme. So the very top of the roller coaster and the very bottom, but we want to be able to activate, have that sympathetic activation of being excited or, um, working out or, um, just like feeling really alive and like a little extra stuff is like running through your veins, but you're excited about it. And then with the with the sympathetic, we still want to have that relaxation. It's just when it goes too far down that it's no longer helpful. So we need our nervous system to have these natural cycles. We wouldn't want to always be excited or always be relaxed. So it's just about if, if the roller coaster is really high highs and really low lows, it's just about shrinking it. So you just want it to be a little shorter and, and kind of live within that window of, of fluctuating up and down. So, and we have all, we have this inside of us and it's also the tool in my opinion, the best tool for regulation is utilizing what we have inside of us through the nervous system. Amazing. I feel like I, I knew a lot about ner- my nervous system and I clearly didn't. There's just those analogies really helped you, kind of just helps you visualize um, even maybe just your experience mm-hmm. of, yeah. of those highs and lows, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Awesome. I'm glad that it makes sense. That's how it is inside of my brain. So I'm always glad when it translates. Yeah, no, that was so, that was so good. It was so colorful and digestible. Um, <clears throat> Bianca pulled one of your posts um, that says our nervous system grows up in the same household <laughs> we do. I, I really love that. And I love that, especially after hearing that explanation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, just like small T trauma from our upbringing yeah. and the nervous yeah. system. Totally. Yeah, I, I touched on this a little earlier when I was talking about if you lived in a household where you were worried about someone yelling at you for something, right? So it's not, I think there is obviously a, a a line that that would cross into abuse, into emotional abuse. But for most of us, you know, that's a pretty common experience um, and isn't abuse. It's just um, a reality that a lot of people grew up in, or um, maybe you had to kind of do the emotional work in your household, even though you were the child or, um, you know, another kind of, uh, dimension of this is maybe everything was really secure with your parents or your caregivers, but you had insecure housing or you had to worry about your parents getting deported or being arrested, right? So all of these disruptions to just safety and security when we're little, which can be a capital T trauma or a little T trauma really depends. And so you're Grow, like your body is growing and your nervous system is developing in that context of whatever your attachments with your caregivers are, your daily life is. And so 
it's always going to do its very best to protect you and to adapt to the situation. So for example, if, again, maybe you grow up in a household, there's a lot of yelling. You're either going to be very hypervigilant in the sense of like being on watch or on guard or like ready for whatever and kind of always be in that place of like, I'll be ready for anything because you never know when I'm going to get yelled at again. Um, and then that sort of forms your nervous system around uh, being very sensitized and being more hypervigilant or maybe, and that's kind of, you know, again, the top of the roller coaster, or maybe you're going to develop, adapt to be kind of checked out, numb, dissociated. If I don't care, then when I'm yelled at, if I'm not here, like if I just leave myself every time I'm yelled at, then it's not going to be painful. It's not going to be difficult. And so um, we always adapt one, one way or the other. There's obviously some people who kind of use both. Um, but we, I think it's a part of development that we just don't talk a lot about. Like we talk a lot about child development and this isn't one of the things that we will talk about when we do. And so when we have these questions of like, Oh God, why am I reacting that way? Or like, why is that my first response to this? It usually does circle back to this, to some lesson or some pattern that your nervous system developed or was taught when you're little. Um, and now it's just about showing your nervous system that there's a new way, which takes a lot of work and time because these patterns, these nervous system patterns were developed when you were really little and are now really old patterns um, and were developed during like really important times in your life. And so it's not to say it's impossible, but it just does take a lot of work to do things differently. Do you, do you think that there's like, um, I don't know how to word this, but do you think that there is... Um our nervous system is attracted to um, seek out ways that we can fulfill those patterns. So like I subscribe mm -hmm. to the adult children of alcoholics and like yeah. an Al-Anon program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk a lot about like, if you are codependent or like Al-Anon and you yeah. go into a room, you will seek out the addict mm -hmm. and the two of them just like combine. Yeah. You know, right. Totally. This makes me think about, I mean, these two are really connected and I'm sure we'll get there, but how uh, we have an attachment system along with a nervous system. So, you know, the sort of like similar slash, I, I would hope like a little more validating version of that would be, we are attracted to people who feel like home. Mm, right. And, and your attachment system knows who feels like home. Mm -hmm. Um, and I find Imago theory, which is a relationship therapy theory, really helpful in this. Where it's from, uh, I M A G O and mm -hmm. the book, uh, getting the love you want is sort of like the core text. Although I highly recommend skipping all of the anecdotes cause they're very white and heteronormative and just mm -hmm. bad, but the, the theories are great in the book. Um, so it could be down to like the way a person laughs. So like, I think we, we kind of jumped to like, oh, if you grew up in a household where like, yeah, there was codependency, then you're a codependent. It can be like, yeah, okay, maybe. And also maybe you're attracted to someone like, because they kind of, their smell reminds you of like a caregiver smell. Like we're so mm. sensitive to these things. Like we, yeah. there's a reason why we just click with people and it's not always trauma, although that is often sometimes one of the factors, but it can, it can be down to those like little tiny details about the way the person is. And so if someone feels like home, then we are attracted to them. And the thing that is really difficult about that is that if home was chaotic, violent, unpredictable, we do tend to be more attracted to people 
who are those ways. Not always, but it, it can be that way because there's our attachment system is like, oh, I know this. This is familiar. Like I have been here before. And then that's sort of like, you know, with the example of a friend who's like, oh, I'm with a safe person and it's like very uncomfortable. Um, it's like, yeah, you're like in a brand new house you've never been in. Like, you don't know where the bathroom is. You don't know like where the back door is. Like, yeah, that sounds really uncomfortable, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Interesting. I think it really does ring true for me, especially if within romantic relationships, because then I'll, I'll step back and look and I'm like, I'm dating the same person over and over. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. You know, like we yeah. all are. Yeah. Time until you really start to be aware of it and then break the cycle. But yes, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like the two can definitely be connected for sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, you know, I think about people who grew up in really loving, affirming homes and still date people who are horrible to them. Right. So like, it's not, it's not like a, this equals, this equals this all the time, but that it can be about, um, peer early peer relationships. So if you're bullied or rejected as a, as like a young person, if your first, if your first relationship ever when you were a teenager was really unpredictable or violent, like these are all things that also really impact our attachment system. It's not just about our caregivers. Um, it's definitely about our first friendships when we're little, our first, uh, romantic relationships. And so all of that is really impacting us as well. Can you talk about the attachment systems and the different styles? Yeah, totally. Um, So a lot of different people have different language for this. I appreciate all the language, but I do find that the ones that I'm about to use make the most sense when I explain it to people. It's the language can feel a little shaming. And I always want to preface that it's like that we all have these different attachment parts inside of us, like every single one of us. Uh, no, I think that's the thing that people get wrong most often about attachment is that there are people who are a hundred percent securely attached and they're so healthy and like, those are the good people. And then there are like the broken people who are like anxious or avoidant, but like that's, we all have anxious parts. We all have avoidant parts. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I still haven't met any of the secure ones yet. Right. Where are they? <laughs> they, don't exist. they don't exist. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, there are people who have healed enough to live in a more secure place with other people most of the time, but no one can be there. Just like how no one can be in that like cruise and feeling good window of tolerance all the time. No one can be secure all the time. It's just, we're human. It's impossible. No one, no one is that. So when I say these parts, I don't mean like you are this and you are bad, but just these different parts live inside of all of us. So Um, there's the more like anxious, also known as like hyper aroused. So the top of your roller coaster attachment style, which is, um, people who are pretty preoccupied with their partners, the way their partners are feeling. They need a lot of like love and reassurance from partners. And these are people who really didn't, weren't really given the opportunity to self self soothe. Or if this part is kind of showing up for you, it could also be because the person that you're dating, like is super unavailable. And so, um, one of the ways that can go is that we can just be like, okay, bye. And then also be unavailable. Or we can be like, if I can just be this way, maybe I'll get love. Right. So Mm -hmm. different people provoke different 
not provoke, bring out different parts of us. So that's the anxious. And then there's secure, which is when we feel regulated with someone else. That's our like window of tolerance relationship style. And that is hopefully how you feel a majority of the time with your partner. Um, it's again, there's no way you can live there, but you can certainly stay there most of the time. And that's just like when things feel secure, not necessarily easy, but just manageable. Um, there's like really healthy communication. If your partner doesn't text you back, your first thought isn't like, oh, they're dead or, oh, they're mad at me. You're just like, oh, they're busy. So it's like just this sort of like peace. <laughs> yeah, you know? I use these examples because I live it, you know, like, oh, I know, I'm laughing, right? get it. Yeah. <laughs> or if they don't text you, your first thought isn't like, well, you know, like, F you, I'm done, right? Which is the more avoidant. So, you know, it's like just feeling secure, feeling safe with the person. And then the more avoidant part, which is the more like hypo aroused part is like, again, you know, maybe that, that per- or that part of you or that person had to learn that the only person who could provide safety and security and regulation was themselves. So they were much like, I don't need other people, you know, like I never had anybody or, um, or maybe they're in a relationship with someone who just cannot be there for them. And so they learn or they adapt to just be totally self-sufficient. Um, and then disorganized attachment, uh, is the like riding that roller coaster all the time where you're just like one day you're feeling, uh, pretty secure the next day, avoidant the next day, anxious. And it really just fluctuates. And that kind of comes from, can come from a parenting style that was unpredictable. So maybe your parent, again, this could be related back to systems of oppression as well. So maybe you had a really solid attachment with your caregiver and then they were incarcerated. And then you had to kind of learn that like, well, people who love you aren't always going to be there for you, right? So you go from like fluctuating different attachment parts really quickly because you did as a kid. Um, And so, you know, that might be a part of you or a person who um, one day feels like really safe and secure. And the next day is like, I don't really think this is working out. And you're like, wait, but just yesterday you said that you, wait, what? Like it's, yeah. it, they just switch really quick. I love how you, in, I love how you include like systemic trauma, societal trauma. Like it's not just like the family mm-hmm. yeah. relational trauma. Like I love how you include all of that and how that can impact. Wow. Yeah. How can you, how, I don't even know if how is the right word, but is it, is it even possible to truly heal these kinds of attachment styles if they are no longer serving you? Um, yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, it's this is the, like the slow work, but like, I think you can't, I think that you can foster acceptance for these parts of you. So this is also more like inner child related where these parts of us, so everybody has an anxious part, everybody has an avoidant part, everybody has a secure part. Um, you know, they usually have an age, right, where they like learn this lesson or or maybe when we feel avoidant, we feel like a teenager that's like, I don't need you. Or when we feel anxious, we feel like a crying baby and we're like, I'm five. Wow. Okay. I'm five years old. Right. So uh, it can be fostering acceptance and being able to hear those younger parts of us and uh, really ask, like, what do you need right now? Five-year-old version of me. Like, what is the thing that you need? Or like, avoidant teenager me like I hear you yeah you've been really let down like you do feel like you don't need people I hear you so it's it's when we like kind of turn on ourselves and are like oh I'm feeling this way I wish I wasn't like I'm so crazy I'm so broken and these parts of us that have been rejected in the past feel again rejected by us Mm -hmm. and so if we're able to really foster connection and and attachment to our younger parts or, or our different attachment parts and really accept them for who they are um which is usually just like really scared kids um then that's that's a really important first step i think of healing attachment stuff and then you know obviously there's 
the work that has to happen with someone else, right? And we can't heal attachment all on our own. So maybe it starts with a therapist, right? So therapist having the same space for you every week, same time, giving you kind of like uh, unwavering love and affection and affirmation. Maybe it's starting to date people who are different than the person you've been dating and like finding someone who's safe and getting to heal that way. It's not the only way, but it's an important factor of that. Um, or I would say like attachment repair can even be like cooking for yourself, taking care of your body, like all of these things again, that get kind of like called self-care, but are actually just like reparenting these really unloved, scared parts of ourselves. And we can show for ourselves like that, where we can be like, I have like food for the week. I know I'm going to take care of my body. I deserve to feel good. Um, that is some like very, very deep attachment repair that we do with ourselves. Hey guys, not to cut you off, but we're cutting you off. We thought it would be a good idea to cut this guy into two parts, only because if you're kind of new to this um, realm and what we're talking about, this conversation, nervous systems, all of this stuff, I find it can be a lot to kind of take in. Um, when I was just learning about the nervous system and how our body processes our environment, our past, all kinds of stuff. It can just be a lot to take in. So we thought we'd make this into two parts just so that you can get more out of it. Maybe let this sit with you, do a little bit more research about what we're talking about. And then next week we'll come back with part two. So that being said, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for leaving us comments. Thank you so much for just being our audience. Uh, we'll hear from you next time and much love.